welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris, and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Tom. Hello. I gotta mix it up somehow. We're you know over 200 episodes in. I gotta. You know, you just do the same time every time. All right, I'm sorry. Same, same way every time. Uh, audiences like normalcy. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but we're back with uh, Salvatore Giuliano. Salvatore? Salvatore? Salvatore. Salvatore Giuliano. That's what, that's what the Italians say. 1963 film by uh, Francesco Rossi. 1962, sorry, from Francesco Rossi. So, yeah. Are you familiar with this director? Not at all. Well, we are now, somewhat. Yes. I have a feeling we might have some more of his coming up, but I could be wrong on that. Um, but yeah, this... Safe to say I had not seen any of his films before. Ah, yeah. The, the only other one that I know of for sure in the collection is uh, The Moment of Truth, a bullfighting movie that we'll eventually get to, but yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I, I'm not familiar with any of his work. Uh, this is the first time I've seen any of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I must admit that uh, I wasn't expecting... I was expecting a lot because last week we were talking about it and uh, you were kind of building it up because it's yeah you know the prelude to all of the really amazing Italian-American um, mafia films of, you know. Yeah, like, and I, and I think it was because I hadn't really looked into it because I knew nothing about it. All I saw was um, a true story of the Sicilian mafia stuff happening, you know, post-World War Two. And uh, the, the essays and stuff in the Criterion booklet were written by Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola, like, just praising the shit out of this film. So I was like, all right. So interest is picked. Yes, exactly. Very much. And and I learned that uh, Scorsese considers this to be one of his favorite films of all time. Yes. I think in his top ten, even. Yeah, yeah. According to, I think, the Sight and Sound poll that was listed in there. Yeah, from the 2012 poll. Um, and he says it's one of the main inspirational sources for Taxi Driver. So I was excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, to watch the film but I was surprised in that I didn't realise how much effort I would need to go to to really watch the film yeah effectively Um, I ended up looking up the fucking history of Sicily and shit yeah yeah just like on the internet just so I could kind of contextualise the film itself Mm, actually get an understanding of what the hell it's doing and saying and what it's what it's all about essentially because it's it's a really interesting way to portray what is effectively a story about Salvatore Giuliano, who's a, a bandit, mm. a celebrated bandit in, in the eyes of the peasants of, of Sicily. Um, but it's also about Sicily as a whole, post-World War II. Yeah, it is a massive history lesson of a film. It's quite fucking epic as well. Like A lot of the, yeah. a lot of the scenes are quite epic in, in how they portray the, the, uh, the landscape and the armies and the mm. police force, whatever. But my point is, is that the film is almost kind of mysterious in the way that it pre- lets you into the story. Mm-hmm. It starts off with uh, Salvatore shot dead in a, the streets of Sicily. Mm-hmm. And you don't even see his face. He's like face down in the dirt. And that's where you start. Everything else is either a flashback, yeah. non-linear storytelling about the last 10 years or so of Sicily's history. It's, it's basically like, yeah, opens with him dead and then takes you back through the history of how did we get to this point? Mm-hmm. And then with jumping back and forth between history of his rise to power, I guess, with the kind of rebellion and the mob there, and then cutting back to the present of where it's the ramifications of him being killed. So straight away, the protagonist, the, the, the film's namesake, 
he's not even there's no he's not the lead he's not I would, he's kind of not even a character in the presence. traditional sense yeah which is kind of a that like one of the first interesting things where you're like a film the namesake of this film is not really ever shown but he is the overarching presence that everything is revolving around mm-hmm. And then I'd go the extra step of saying this film doesn't even have a protagonist. No, that's right. Which is real interesting. Yeah. And kind of makes it a little bit tough to get into. So I, yeah, that's right. Certainly the first 40 minutes to an hour, even, I was just like, wow, there's just things happening. In, and, I, and I didn't mind it so much in that it's partly documentary and you're getting a, a mm. voiceover here and there that's kind of contextualizing the story in historical sense mm, it, but most of the time you're just watching things play out in in Sicily whether it's in the streets or whether it's in the fields or whatever and it's really it felt more like you're just feeling out a texture of it all mm. like an experiential process rather than an actual story and I think the latter half starts to move into an actual traditional film once you've kind of gotten your head around what is going on with the film you're able to then kind of, yeah, adjust to it and understand where it's going, what it's doing. It makes it essentially almost a pseudo-documentary. Yeah, it's part documentary, There's and there's part, you know, the, obviously the um, a fictional recreation of the events. Yeah, it, it's, it, it walks that really thin line where you could... A, a case could be made for the fact that the film is almost essentially all reenactment footage, almost. It, it's, stri- it's sticking to it so strictly and rigidly and kind of being shot in that uh, cinema verite sort of style and that pseudo-documentary stuff, that it is, I think it is, without it being such cinematic camera work and I think the non-linear storytelling and stuff really helps kind of separate it from essentially just being almost a doco. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, that for, I know that for certain that it's been put together to try and capture the facts as much as it can, mm. but the, there's a mystery shrouding... Uh, the figure that is Salvatore Giuliani like because everything's based off government records journalistic records um, and reports and whatnot in the court court mm. cases um, but th- but things have been tinkered with in um, anyway yeah I mean I think the the initial I thought what was really interesting in the initial scene when uh, one of the officials is going through describing the crime scene with uh, Giuliano on the floor, on the ground. Sort of, yeah, saying what he's wearing and yeah, what he's got on. Yeah, it's a really even. detailed uh, description of what he's looking at, but it fucking means nothing. Yeah. And it, it reveals nothing. It's just the superficial, like, for the police report, this is where, what the crime scene looks like when we discover it, sort of thing. And I think the film is trying to get... It's doing a similar thing. There's a lot of events happening, and you really just get a taste of what truly happened, but without having... It's difficult to to build an overarching concept of the events. So do you reckon that opening scene is almost essentially the filmmaker just saying, establishing, this is what we're going to be doing with this film. We're not going to be peppering it or colouring it with kind of, you know, flair or artistic intent or opinion. We're just going to lay out the facts as they have been reported. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and he's this- literally, that's how we're opening our film with that, just to kind of... And there's still a sense. Yeah, there's yeah. still a sense of confusion. Mm. Uh, I think. I mean, even people. I found it interesting. This is a little bit of trivia. Um, that even up to 2010, people thought that he might actually still be alive. 
Yeah. And they exhumed his body and did some DNA testing with known relatives uh, and found that the body was 90% likely to be his. Yeah. So that's okay. It's, it's, pr- probably, it's probably his. Probably. Yeah. But, but that's, that just shows you the extent to which the records were filled with and fucked with and, and yeah. who really knows what, what truly happened um, because Sicily at the time was so fractured. Yeah. And the film, its very structure is just like that. Um, so even though I had a hard time, I mean, for heaven's sake, like Salvatore, the, the, the character is often referred to as um, Tereju. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't realize. I was who, like, who, who the fuck is, is that this? guy? Yeah, yeah. Is this Tur- one of Tur- his Tur- like second in commands or what, where are we here? His consigliere? Like what the fuck yeah. is going on? So that just adds to the whole confusion. Yes. Um, but I think eventually, as I said, like I stopped the film and I fucking went to Wikipedia and I said, what is the history of Sicily? <laughs> Context, so I could please. figure out the fuck is going on. And I looked up who Tarigi was. It's like, oh, that's just another name for Salvatore. Yeah. Which is, again, like why I think people like, people like Coppola and Scorsese and stuff, are, this film resonates so hard with them because they are Sicilian and they, you know, they you know have that Italian her- heritage and they can connect and they know this history. And it's such an interesting time and place in Italian history that is being presented in such a unique cinematic form yeah because yeah. like in terms of this isn't necessarily a film you sit down to watch and enjoy necessarily which sounds like a condemnation but it's it's not it's it, I think especially for us like we like you said we were going in expecting interesting fun gangster film and instead right. what you're getting is a film that messes with the form and structure of what a film can be it's almost like an experimental kind of unique new form of filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, it's one that we've now kind of become familiar with. Like, I mean, God, even in the last couple of years, like American Animals, I would say you could argue has that kind of same documentary, not documentary kind of fucking with oh, yeah. form and structure. Yeah. And, you know, it's obviously had influence. Um, but this is, I think, if you're not prepared for it and you don't know that's what you're getting going in, it's a, it's a trip. Yeah, but you're not... Well, that's right. And I, I think... I mean, you don't need to go in expecting to enjoy it. Like, I, I was... I actually got reminded of um, Night and Fog, this one. Oh, okay. I mean, that's that's a documentary we watched previously in the um, in the collection about Archwitz. Yeah. And the shots in that are... I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to compare it in the sense of, you know, both of them are, are, are wartime mm. problems or whatever, but I'm more meaning that it's... A, it's a documentary that, that screwed with the format and tried to give you a real sense of what it felt like to be at Auschwitz. It's the same as just this one is, yeah. let's do a narrative, a story that's part documentary that really gives you a sense of what Sicily felt like at the time. Not just what Sicily, yeah, what Sicily felt like at the time, but then it's also let's put you directly in the middle of what was happening. I think, yeah, for, and I think the main drive is to, con- like, just to, it's contemplative, isn't it? Yeah. There's a lot of scenes that are that seemingly don't really go anywhere, but there's, mm. there's a lot of there's a lot of scenes, and this goes into neorealism mm. now, um, which this film draws from, um, in the sense that it's very focused on uh, the working class and the and the poor people. Yes. Of Sicily, neorealism. I didn't know about this term either. This is again, like, but I think you looked this up as well. Mm-hmm. And neorealism 
although this film was made in the 60s, Neuralism is from the 1940s, and it comes from a time when right near post-war, post-World War II, and it's really trying to get to the heart of the working class and the poor, and they're often depicted as... as uh, the protagonists. Mm. You, you, we're specifically talking Italian neorealism within film. Yes. Not, not within art or anything. Not within art. Yes. No, sorry, yes. I should... No, no, just wanting to clarify. And it's often... They're often using uh, non-professional actors, which this film does quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And you can tell sometimes, which is fine. Uh, and I thought that was interesting that the film, although made in the 60s, is trying to incorporate the film techniques and and aspects of filmmaking from the 40s where it's, it's set. Mm. Well, I mean, that's, that, well, that's what makes it interesting, the fact that it is, it is a film not made in that, time, in that period where neorealism was really at its peak, but it's because it's a film that is set during that time and is, is affected by what that movement is doing and saying, that it incorporates it into its filmic styles. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why... The, so the film in that kind of... Italian film, um, neorealistic sense is really trying to give you a texture of things. A lot of depictions of the working class getting completely fucked on. Mm. A lot of a lot of wailing women. There's a lot of wailing women in this film. Yeah. And oftentimes, I was just watching these scenes play out, and you're like, I don't know how to connect this to the greater whole, other than just experience the sorrow of this poor woman, um, who is. Um Salvatore's mother, essentially. Yeah. And not just that, but then you have that amazing scene where it's all the other um, sons and husbands are being rounded up by the the government and the military because they might have some involvement in the rebellion with Salvatore, so we need to take them away. And it's just a sea of screaming, crying women running towards them. Um, I couldn't help but make the joke while watching it with Claire, like, oh my God, the Beatles are playing on Ed Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, ah! <laughs> but, it was, well, it was hysterical. But, like that, but that's what it actually seriously looked like. It was yeah. just a sea of women running through the streets screaming. Yeah. And it makes you understand, like, wow, the impact. And that that scene in particular... Sorry, I've kind of hijacked the realism here. But um, and that, this, like, hit so fucking hard. I think that was my favorite scene in the whole film because it was cinematically fucking brilliant the way that it was shot and the scope of the scene where it was systematically going and taking people out of their houses and then they panned down the street and you just see a sea of like soldiers lined up like all the way down to the horizon and there was this one beautiful shot that lasted a couple of minutes almost where it was like would float and follow an officer as he's rounding up people like panning and going into people's houses following with steady cam and then back out fucking beautiful stuff yeah but then I was like marveling in the filmic style of it and then all of a sudden realized oh god they're going around into people's houses and rounding them up to take them away to be questioned by the guy like this must have hit fucking close to home post World War 2 yeah like this is some very clear and direct imagery of what he's going for and what he's saying here he definitely lingers in those harsh moments those brutal moments yeah just like really hammers home the point of I mean, he's very much, I think, wearing his... Uh, I mean, we were saying it's pseudo-documentary, but he's... In those scenes, he's wearing his heart on his sleeve and, like, really pinpointing, like... Yes, the re- like, you know, you might not agree with the communist aspects and the rebellion and some of all of that, but you cannot excuse the actions of the government when they do stuff like this. 
like especially post World War Two, where you're like, do you not fucking see the comparisons here? But but even but even okay, so there's there's a that all happens, and then later on, there's a sequence which I thought was the best sequence of the film, uh, and that is uh, the massacre of Portela della Ginstra. But that's a massacre that's enacted by uh, Salvatore's people. Yes. Well, it's sort of. There, a a yeah. lot of. I mean, there's the shepherd character, which I think is quite an interesting character. He's the closest. Coerced. He was the closest thing I would think to us having a quote-unquote protagonist, or he he serves as essentially a through line from the middle, like the second act through to the third and the finale of the film. He's essentially our kind of conduit, I guess. Uh, he's one of yeah. He's yeah. He's definitely. He's the person. If you want to talk about neorealism? Yeah. He's he's the character for that. He he's the person the audience can put themselves in his shoes and empathize with what's going on. Mm. But then, can you really sympathize? Obviously, we're not sympathizing with the government, uh, with the the army, um, in the scenes you're describing. But can you really empathize with Salvatore at what he's doing with this in this massacre? Mm-mm. They're, well, that, yeah. they're peasants as well, which is confusing because he's supposed to be the the people's bandit. Mm. I mean, he's supposed to be Robin Hood. Well, that's he, what people even describe him as. Well, know? I mean, before he was a bandit, um, he was he was selling food on the black market to try and feed people. So yeah, and then you can got see where that's arrested for that, and so he ran and hid up in the hills, and then. That's where the mafia kind of came in and were like, let's make a leader out of you. Mm. You're already this kind of... You have the perfect makings of a folk hero. Let's just arm you and give you intent, So it was all, it was all more confusing when, when he, start, he opens fire on, on peasants. I mean, they're, they're at a communist rally, basically, but they're still peasants. Mm. So I, I, I was scratching my head a little bit there at the motivations. I, the film doesn't give you motivations. Do you agree? Yeah, well, 100%. You know, like, you're, you're floating through this narrative, and I often was quite confused it's by... It's just presenting to you what happened. Yeah. And not try- And I think that's, like, why it's so clever not having Salvatore actually within the film, because if you do, it's you have the possibility of having your audience, or at least part of your audience, attaching to him or possibly sympathising with him, and that's not what he's trying to do. He's yes. just making a pseudo-documentary like a neorealist pseudo-documentary like that's like the closest way you could describe this film he's just presenting but like this thing it's not a documentary but it feels so much like a documentary because there is no real conventional narrative structure there's no protagonist there's no elements that you normally see in a film or a, like and and so that's why you kind of lean to it is just a presentation of facts and reenactments you can't emotionally attach yourself to any yeah. figure in the film yeah and it is like as like i was, would normally do in a film yeah and like i was saying with how i got like drew parallels with the military rounding up you know people to be questioned and take them away and things like you know you can't help but the, the evocative imagery of World War Two and things, especially given the time and place that this film is set, like, post-World War Two, And then he does the exact same thing for the opposite side. Like, that's what I was kind of alluding to earlier, is, like, he, there, there is no kind of bias in there. Like, it, he equally show, shows compassion and contempt for both sides I, in the way that he frames sure. and presents his images. 
I ended up looking up why he would commit the massacre. Mm. And the film didn't give me this information. But it seemed like he did it because the the opposing forces, the government effectively, said, these guys, the peasants out there, the communists are our enemy. We're going to hire you, Salvatore, to, to scare them and to, to kill some of them. And he did it because he says, well, if I partner up with these guys, maybe they give me pardons for past crimes. Yes. And I hate communists. Yeah. Despite me being a, a man of the people and wanting to help out peasants. Essentially, like, yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> Which the, is the weird contra- contradictory kind of stuff in there. The film didn't give me that info. I looked it up. Yeah. Or, or maybe it didn't. I missed it. Well, but. no, I'm, I'm with you as well, because for a long time, like at the beginning of that massacre, I initially thought... It was his own men because of the way that he was described and what his rebellion and things were doing. It to me sounded like a communist rebellion, and then so that when there was a giant scene of people holding communist flags with like the the sickle and hammer and stuff, I was like, "Oh, this is those guys." And then you see those guys opening fire on them, and I was like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, I need context. <laughs> it's kind of it's really interesting in that normally you'd want to. My, my brain wants to respond to the film by saying, can you give me more facts so I can understand the processes of history? Mm. But, the, but the film isn't, doesn't want that. It seems like it wants you to just... It's almost like trying to get you to experience it from the point of view of the, of the lower class, the working class and the peasants, mm. which wouldn't know the bigger picture. And so you just get tastes of brutality, tastes of corruption, tastes of the mafia seemingly... Having been like pulling fingers. the strings of yeah. this all, of, of, uh, yeah, and they've got their fingers in in the policeman's pie. They've got the fingers in the army. They've got the fingers in government, which is why I think the shepherd character is such an important one because he is kind of, he's emblematic of the lower class, the poor income people, the people that were duped in by either the government, the mafia, or um, Salvatore, like to go along with a cause just because they were there and someone put a gun in their hand and said, "Do this." And that also extends to the right-hand man of uh, Salvatore, mm. who ends up uh, shooting Salvatore dead, mm. assassinating him, basically. Which, uh, yeah. What was his name? Uh, Pischiotta? Yes. Pischiotta is told by one of the um, government officials that uh, that Salvatore will double, is double-crossing him and that he should go kill him. And he's being, his chain is being yanked. But then, <laughs> well and truly yanked. Yeah. Um, but the end result of that is is Salvatore is murdered, and then they have someone to kind of essentially pin everything. Well, they don't. It's interesting because the army then. This is what was. This is what adds to the whole mis- like mystery of yeah. these yeah. events. Is Piscotto shoots him dead in, uh, shoots Salvatore in his room dead. They, the government, the army says, fuck, we, we, we need to... So the government says, fuck, we've got a problem here. We need to take him out, put him on the streets, pump him full of army bullets, and say the army got him dead, and it's a big celebration. We're going to put it in the media that there was, you know, he was he was gunned down running. Um, it's basically trying to, like, I think I gather... Falsify what had happened. Yeah, I, yeah, I gathered you're going to use the media and yeah. dispersion of, of, of knowledge well, through through the cities and go like hey it was the government we got this bad guy which is like that amazing scene early on where they're like let the press and the photographers in like let's get this misinformation out there and let's do this but but my point is bring it back to 
Um, bringing back to what we were talking about previously is it seemed like, just like the shepherd, Salvatore is taking advantage of by everybody, just as his right-hand man is. And they're all just part of... They're all just part of that that the poor and working class just trying to do their best mm. um, and gain independence. Um, so I, I guess that's I guess I and mean, that's why he's like the Robin Hood figure, I suppose. Mm. Still, even in even though he did massacre those people, but it's yeah, it, huh. it's it's a really complex it's a complex story, mm. a complex. And- the, piece of history and the fact that like yeah because it is so many interweaving kind of pieces with government corruption um ma- the actual mafiosos and things and then the film ending with jumping in 1960 when you have the corrupt uh government official who's helped kind of orchestrate the the assassination and the kind of hang-up job on his right-hand man it ends with him just being assassinated and killed and you're like I see the influence that this has now had on people like Mario Puzo and things where it is, they're not necessarily interested in the facts. They're interested in the, the pulpy nature of what's going on here. And that's what leads him to write things like the Godfather and the Sicilian and things where it is like, it's not necessarily about the facts, but it's about like the, the weaving and the double crossing and the actual excitement. Yeah. And this film is, kind of the opposite of that the power struggle the intimidation yeah exactly the the double crossings and just all of like essentially the movie stuff like you know the stuff that would be exciting and make for great you know storytelling instead of like we keep saying this is closer to a documentary where it's just we're not going to have any necessary bias we're just going to present facts almost as if they were documentary recreations Mm. but you get you get artistic flair, like oh f- fuck, oath you do. There's like a there's one of I think one of my favorite shots of the film is when there's um, there's a whole bunch of people in a plaza. There's a guy playing a jew harp. Back yeah, there. yeah. And it's I think it's like the first fifteen minutes of the film. Please don't mouth harp. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. I, I don't know it, if that's a big deal. No, I'm, they, I'm they just, call them jew harps. I'm just fucking with you. Oh, cool. Well, I don't want to offend people. Yeah. I, um, I'm ignorant sometimes. Yeah. Um, anyway, there's a guy playing are. a Jew harp. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's beautifully lit yeah. in this wide and, yeah. And but just that twanging noise, it's so interesting. Yeah, it's very... You do not expect that to come through. Spaghetti western-y, yeah. actually. Um, and this light comes on in a corridor in the very back of the shot. And a, and a gunman that's in shadow kind of sits, comes out and opens fire. And the I loved how you could see from the point of view of behind him with the gun pulled out, already the gun down, a whole bunch of people in the plaza. And right as he opens fire, all of the lights go out. But mm. it's not actually in the plaza lights go out. It's a film, a filmic decision. Yeah. And I was just like, fuck, like, that is a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, almost it kind of gives it kind of gives the you know how do you shoot an assassination well you do it in a you do it fucking cool yeah essentially do you know what I mean like and and all of the films like how do you do all of the Italian American gangster films they're trying to do that kind of thing Mm. Um, they're trying to figure out a new and interesting way of either building up it's either about the build up of the tension or it's about how fucking cool it is when it actually goes down 
Well, it's like the anti-hero, isn't it? Yeah. You're trying to celebrate... Um, I mean, crime's not cool. Yeah. But, but it certainly looks cool on film. That That is actually the big thing. And, like, going back to, like, what Puzo was doing and stuff, he's... Because he's interested in the nitty... Like, not the facts and presenting the facts, but he's interested in the story elements and the characters behind what goes on, he's able to then create things like The Godfather and stuff, which glorifies anti-heroes. And within that as well, like, I mean, you are not supposed to empathize with Michael Corleone, especially in The Godfather. Too. Like, the ending shot of The Godfather, like, spoilers, I guess, if you've never seen The Fucking Godfather. <laughs> but it's um, bleak as all hell. Like, it is not a happy ending shot to that film. And it's, oh, he has been... We've just watched a man essentially fall from grace and be completely and utterly corrupted. Mm -hmm. It's not a happy, good ending. <laughs> and if you view it as such, you're like, fuck yeah, fuck you, Diane Keaton. <laughs> like, you better get, get out of his business. <laughs> like, you're a horrible person and you've misinterpreted. Actually, something interesting I found out about uh, Salvatore is that before he was a criminal, he was an olive oil merchant. Hmm. And I wonder if that has a connection with the fact that Don Corleone is an olive oil merchant, or at least the, his front. One of his fronts is, is an olive yeah, oil yeah. I, yeah. I would imagine so, given that, uh, you know, Puz you know, we've mentioned Mario Puzo a bit. He went on to write a book called The Sicilian, which... Um, which is about Salvatore. Yeah. And then uh, Michael Cimino then went on to make into a film and things, so, yeah. Yeah. Which I have not seen, but I'm very interested in now because I like Michael Cimino. Yeah, I wasn't aware of this movie. I'm not sure why. I it just kind of never came into my because it's a Michael Cimino film, right? And no one knows of any Michael Cimino film after Heaven's Gate, essentially, because <laughs> where he bankrupted a United artist. <laughs> but I oh, fucking love not. Heaven's Gate, and it's in Criterion in its uh, uncut, nearly five hour long version. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. But I mean, goddamn, like Deer Hunter, Thunderbolt, and Lightfoot, like great stuff. Yes, I'm not familiar. You've never seen... Th uh, you've seen The Deer Hunter, or at least know of The Deer Hunter. I know of The Deer Hunter. Yeah. Shit, yeah, I've never seen that. That's fucking dumb. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that was his second film. He did a film before that called uh, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. It's a uh, Clint Eastwood and uh, Jeff Bridges-like bank but robbery movie. <laughs> but uh, it's like 90, It's like early 70s, like <laughs> super young in his 20s, Jeff Bridges. Okay. It was his first Oscar nomination and stuff. Still, looking back at, on this day and age, that's quite an interesting combo. Mm. But anyway, we should probably... That's a weird digression into the cinema of Michael Cimino. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah. I recommend, I recommend those two films. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, so where do we go from here? Um, I've... We've talked quite a bit about... Uh, we've talked about the film, we've talked about the it's, history around the film. It's an interesting one where there is no... Normally at this point we'd sort of, I guess, digress into standout performances or we thought of the performances and things. But there's... Because there is no, it's not a traditional filmic narrative, there's no real... Like, everyone's fine. Like, there's no no character or anyone that you could pinpoint even, really. There's the shepherd and, and the right-hand man, uh, Piscioda, and, and I think... And, then, like, and the government official, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and I think the film's at its most filmy when you're at the court case um, trying to figure out who committed the actual massacre. Mm. Um, but everything else or, or is... who should be held responsible for I suppose, it, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a fucking... I mean, I, like, it's a surprising movie. Yeah. 
it was not what I was expecting in the slightest, yeah. and it, it's not a bad, by no means a bad film, but it is no, just, it's, it's different, I think is the best way to explain it. It's a very good film, but I, I must admit that I haven't had to work so hard to understand a film that we've done on the podcast in recent memory. Yeah, we've been on a pretty cruisy run of very, you know, de- layered films, but they're very obvious as to what they're doing and saying or how they're doing and saying it whereas this one is just well, different how would you yeah well how, I mean, let's try and wrap up but i um how would you how would you try and describe the film if it's if you someone says to you what's this film about i would say it is a oh god like about the the rise to power and then the effect of this small kind of rebellion influenced by the mafia um, in told in a neo-realistic pseudo-documentary <laughs> style. <laughs> and then if the person I was talking to did not... you're talking about. Well, that's on them. Oh, okay. <laughs> they need to do the research like you and I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, think, I think... I think what he's trying to go for is it seems like corruption and evil and is is systemic it doesn't matter if you look at the police or uh, the army or military or the government it's just there yeah and the people that are getting fucked is the lower class mm. the working class and the poor and i think the whole film was just a contemplation on that yeah and it's just using Sicily in the 1940s as an example of how fucked it can get. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I really liked it. It's good. It's a very good film. And it's, it's a fucking exceptionally well-made film, but it is, it's a tough one. Yeah, I had to work hard. Mm. But in, in the end, it's, it's very, very, very good. Mm. Well, I guess do we wrap up there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exhausting. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> trying, trying to understand this one. Um, so I'll talk, we'll jump to the actual Criterion edition itself. It's still in print from Criterion as a two disc DVD, and it comes with the special features of audio commentary by historian Peter Cowie, uh, a film historian Peter Cowie. Uh, he writes great stuff. Uh, Witness to the Times, a new discussion by director Francesco Rossi and film critic Tulio Kazisk. I'm guessing. Uh, Il Sinista e El Labertino, a 55-minute documentary directed by Roberto Ando, showing Rossi revisiting his life and career in cinema, with personal comments by director, uh, directors Giuseppe Tonto... I always fuck this one up. Tonatore. Uh, Giuseppe Tonatore, who did um, uh, Cinema Paradiso. And Martin Scorsese, along with others. Uh, excerpts from an Italian newsreel from July 12th, 1950, reporting of the shocking death of the infamous charismatic bandit Salvatore Giuliano, as well as original trailer and booklet and essay with uh, tributes written by Coppola, Fellini, Scorsese, as well as some other essays. So a lot of people really dug this film. Yeah. It's definitely Italians, a in, Italians in particular. Yes. Yeah, um, it's a filmmaker's film as well. Yeah. Uh, I should say as well, it is also available to watch on the Criterion channel if you have that streaming service. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. We're sponsored by A24. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not. But what's... what's 
but people should watch their films. Um, yes. What's your recommendation, A24? Yeah. Wise? Uh, my recommendation for A24, our, our, our lovely sponsors, <laughs> is uh, for this week, I'm going to tell everyone to go out and check out a movie called The Death of Dick Long. Oh, I've seen that. Yes. Yeah, it's quite bold. <laughs> yeah. It's a kind of... Uh, I'm starting with, like, the sleeper ones that they brought out in, in 2019 with, um, I think, last week I recommended Last Black Man in San Francisco. Now The Death of Dick Long. Like, they've had a... They had a couple of bigger ones last year, um, but the, I'm going to go for the sleeper ones and recommend yeah. those. So that's a good that's a good recommendation. It's a really good film. Hmm. Um, but other than that, uh, yes, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, as usual, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at criterionquest, or we also have like Facebook and all that shit. You can find it, whatever. Um, <laughs> but we'll be back uh, next week with another Bergman film. Uh oh. <laughs> perfectly timed car horn beep outside yeah. um yeah with scenes from a marriage so i guess perfectly timed with marriage story about to win an oscar or two like sure who knows we're, uh, we're 50 50 on bergman so yeah sometimes it's amazing sometimes i, I don't really respond you know i think it yeah it is just up to what whether the film is it's always good but it's whether or not you can actually engage yeah yeah, yeah. but it'll be interesting because the last bunch that we did with things like um winter light and um brutal glass darkly and things like some really hardcore ones so it'll be interesting to see him in a more modern context i guess so right. Uh, tune in next week for that one. Otherwise, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. For this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Tom. See you next time. Mm-hmm.